and welcome to the VSA Capital Tech and Transitional Energy Podcast on Thursday, the 5th of August. Hi, Phil. I would say, how are you? I know how you are, because actually you're in the office today, and I'm in the office today, so we know how we are. Uh, we're both pretty well, aren't we? We're on fine form, as always, Andrew. So here we go. We'll have another half hour chit-chat about tech and transitional energy. And I know there's quite a lot of things to run through today, but I thought I'd actually throw something in at the beginning just to catch you off guard, Phil. And that is that actually this week, I've been talking a lot to my clients, which are sort of the major UK institutions, about what I see as you know one of the root causes of all the problems on this planet at the moment. And it connects into all the sort of tech and transitional energy that we're talking about at the moment. And I'll come on to that as well. And that is actually the world population. The problem that this planet has basically is there are too many people on this planet. There's now about 8 billion people. Whereas if you just wound the clock back to you know, a thousand years, there were only 250 million. I had 32 fold increase. In fact, if you go back a lot further to the sort of semi-nomadic era, there were only about three or four million people on the planet. Um, and, and of course, the population grows for all sorts of reasons, but a lot of it is due to the fact that we went through, you know, the Stone Age, the Iron Age, the oil and gas age, shall we say. We discovered fertilizers that could grow more crops. Um, you know, you can, the list is endless. But when you get to where we are today at 8 billion, it, it's basically, you know, why do we have climate change at the moment? It's simple. We've got too many people on the planet. We're burning more fossil fuels basically to keep the energy for all of those people. If we had half the people, we'd burn half the fossil fuels. Um, we'd, we'd need half the, the, the cows and, and, and beef herds that we have today. So that would cut it all down. So what I've been discussing is, look, this is the problem, too many people in the world, but how do we make money out of that? Because actually all of that is driving transitional energy uh, revolution. It's driving artificial intelligence, automation, robotics, actually driving a lot of food technology, which we haven't discussed a lot on this podcast, but it's a very interesting area. And, and I've been talking a lot about the thinking that's coming out at the moment of a guy called Tony Sieber. I don't know, have you ever come across Tony Sieber, Phil? No, I haven't. Well, you, you should. All right, you're missing out on something here. Tony Sieber, in my view, is, is one of the lead thinkers on, on certainly transitional energy. Uh, and he's been absolutely correct. And I recommend everybody listen to his videos. Um, but he also now has, a, a, has published a sort of a new thing called Rethink X, which talks very much along the lines that I'm talking about now. And he basically says, you know, the, the, the three major areas that actually will solve a lot of these problems are transitional energy, artificial intelligence, automation and robotics, and a whole food supply chain. And actually by sorting all of that out, you can actually reduce emissions by 90% by 2035, which is extraordinary. And that solves so many of the problems. Anyway, look, I don't want to ramble on too much. It's a very interesting area. It's something that I'm very interested in in particular. Um, so, you know, anybody listening to this who's interested in this whole population issue, because it is a massive issue, um, you know, feel free to direct message and, and happy to, to get into more debates because within that, there are so many companies that you can then invest in that help solve this problem. And therefore, and there is a huge return to be made. So it's a big focus of my thinking. Anyway, there you go. Well, that's how I thought I'd kick it off. Well, well you, you weren't expecting that. I'm sorry. You thought probably I'd kick it off by saying, you know what? 
last Thursday we were down in Plymouth and we had a lovely time in Plymouth, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. We did, in, we did indeed. You know, I was, I was just thinking, um, I was driving down the A10 to Ely last week, uh, which is near where I live in Newmarket, and um, there are some massive greenhouses being constructed in that area. There's all flat Fenland. It's prime agricultural land. Um, but but uh, quite some investment going in, into that. So we'll have a, it's a, it's a it's a big subject, isn't it? I mean, food tech. Yeah, food we tech is a we, huge subject, and we haven't really touched on it on this podcast. And I'm I'm, not, I'm doing a lot more thinking on it at the moment, um, and I'm sure I'll hopefully come up with some some great ideas. Um, but going back to Plymouth, um, where I think you got caught out in the rain, but I didn't. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just dropped that in. <laughs> Um, we were, of course, down there with Frontier IP visiting some of their portfolio companies, um, which was very interesting. Um, still quite early stage. Um, but, you know, this is where the excitement is, isn't it? In some of these early stage potential sort of unicorn type companies. Um, again, if anybody wants to talk about Frontier IP in particular, probably best direct message and, and ask us the direct questions. But, you know, we were down with them. Uh, and it's probably worth just mentioning whilst we're talking Frontier, um, IP Group had their results today, didn't they, Phil? Yeah, they did. Yeah. Do, do yeah. you want to make any comments on them as the analyst? Well, well, I certainly can do. Um, the well, there's a couple of standouts for, for for me on this. I mean, IP Group has um, a very broad range of investments in in, in technologies at, at different different stages. Uh, these were half-year results, um, and the net asset value, the value of all those investments, was up uh, was up nine percent over a six-month period, uh, which which can't be can't be bad. And they invested in 41 companies, a total of 70 million pounds. So you can see that that's that's early stage uh, company investments, and their whole portfolio now is worth uh, over 1.2 billion pounds whereas you know the prior half was was a billion so um and some pretty exciting stories within there as well i mean oxford nanopore um i've talked about preparing for an for an ipo so that's that's very exciting that's a big uh, i think, uh, I think and that's, yeah come on, yeah one of the keys to me with oxford nanopore i mean a lot of quotes go around about what it could be valued the reality is, is that if it really takes off, it could be valued significantly more than the sort of numbers people are banding around at the moment. You know, it may IPO at about a three billion valuation, but you could quite easily see it then going on and going to a six, seven, eight, nine billion pound valuation. That clearly will drag IP Group up a long way. And that's why I still think IP Group is very interesting. And IP Group still trades at a small discount to its NAV. I actually believe it should trade at a premium to its NAV because it is actually adding value to an investor who couldn't buy all those individual stocks himself. That is correct. And it gives a super, you know, for investors, it gives a great spread of exposure to technologies. Mm. It's, a, it's, a good, it's a good way of investing. But I mean, Frontier IPs is a, is a, is a, is a smaller version of, of IP group in terms of um, sort of tech and size of some of the, the, the tech companies. But it's, it, I think what the Frontier IP visit showed me and, and looking at IP Group's results is in the UK, you know, the NASDAQ gets all of the sort of exposure on technology. But in the UK, we've got some cracking tech that's uh, that's that's about, you know, the private companies and the universities. But that was a good, yeah, it was a good set of results from IP Group. 
Yeah. So well, why don't we run through there's a few re results um, out today, or have been out this week. We probably should just run through a few of them. Uh, I spotted actually again whilst we were in Plymouth last Friday, one that we've sort of talked about a little bit, which is Fulcrum, um, because they've got some interesting grid service capabilities and fast charging capabilities. But we've always been a, a little bit cautious about it, haven't we? And and actually their trading statement there was was a little bit disappointing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was on the yeah on the subdued side. It's fair to fair to say. Uh, I mean, and it's interesting because obviously you know we, we we spend a lot of time looking at fast charging and and charging networks. We had news this morning that um, Terry Leahy and our friend Bill Curry, who I used to work with a few years not so long ago, well actually it was quite a long time ago, but um, before the before the noughties, um, are potentially going to float their uh, EV charging business um, for five hundred million pounds, which seems like a very high valuation to me. But that is the sort of valuation these things are going for, aren't they? You, I don't know if you've got any comment on that, um, Phil. But I mean, what the comment I would make, of course, is that Fulcrum clearly are struggling slightly. But the one we really like, which is Nexus, also has a very fast-growing, fast-charge business, EV charging business called eSmart Energy. And I'll tell you what, if, if um, Bill Curry's business is worth 500 million. The next Nexus is worth significantly more than it is in the the, the current market price today. But you know, what are your thoughts on that, Phil? Well, on the valuations, we'll we'll see what investors say about say about that. What's what's in no doubt, I think, is that the the networks need to be rolled out. If you look at the the investment that the car makers are absolutely ploughing into to to EVs. Um, they will eventually, you know, they will be sold. Prices will adjust. Um, you know, consumer appetite's already increasing for EVs, but you need the charging infrastructure. So, you know, those that are getting in early in developing these networks, the networks become of, you know, become of more permanent value. Mm. Now, the company's called My Energy. Uh, ending with an I, by the way, if anybody's listening, and it was in the Daily Telegraph today, and they own Zappy EV charging systems. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a no. It's a it's a it's a super space, and and it's just like you know. I remember on fiber networks when they started rolling out, they you know the companies that build the networks first are able to create an asset at the end of the day, and mm -hmm. they're able to sell that at higher value further down the line. Well, carrying on with results and, and more on that sort of towards that sort of space. One of your favourites is Sparren, and they've had figures, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Yeah, this is this, this is first half um, half figures. I mean, Spire is a global brand in telecommunications uh, testing. So all of the you know network equipment, five G handsets, five G networks, all of this, all needs testing to make sure that it performs within specification and reliable reliably. Um, I mean, and Spire, I I think is really attractive because of the the breadth of customers it has, but also it's um you know the margins that it generates from the business and they reported that their orders were up um 14 percent so revenue was up nine percent so that's all moving the right way um and their operating margins were 17 and a half percent but quite sort of stand out to me i mean they, you'll see their cash is down but that's because they made a they made a merger but they still had cash to send on uh, spend on share buybacks which is all good news. Um, and they're saying 5G, which has not been getting an awful lot of press, but it's all going on in the background quietly, um, that they had 400 new deals 
uh, this is for test equipment related to uh, to, to 5G, uh, and that was up from 250 deals in the first half of last year. So it so shows that momentum in uh, in 5G is genuinely increasing. I thought that was quite a standout there. Yeah, a good po- yeah, a good positive outlook. It is, but I mean, the trouble is, you know, in today's market, and I'm not saying today's market is is normality, is that you know, if you're a tech company, you need to be really knocking in the numbers, like. I don't know what, and sort of, you know, an up 10% isn't that exciting, really, is it? Uh, and that, I think that's the problem to a certain extent, and probably why the stock actually is pretty flat today uh, and has been flat all year round. Um, you know, so, yeah, good company, but got to probably score sixes rather than ones, so to speak. But anyway, there we go. Yeah, uh, I know it's one of your favourites. Uh, have you got any others that have uh, reported results this week you want to comment on, Phil? Uh, the only other one is a, it's a lot smaller one. This one, but again, it's it, again it's uh, high spec specification technology in electronics, and that's a Filtronic has been around for, for for a long time, and they specialise in RF tech, radio frequency um, technology, and their tech goes into uh, satellite communications. Uh, markets into industrial comms, uh, military communications. But this is a company that's been in, in a sort of turnaround mode, uh, you know, particularly focusing on, um, you know, operational efficiencies and, and winning more customers. Um, and, uh, yeah, they reported their four-year results and they show that they've, uh, you know, they're moving into increasing their adjusted profits, uh, a decent cash generation, uh, from the business, increasing their sales and marketing resource. And, and again, they're seeing market pickup, particularly in the uh, defense markets where they supply uh, radar communications. So, and on, on a, you know, the subject of defense has been very, uh, very much the forefront in the press because of acquisitions um, of, you know, potential acquisitions in the sector uh, of UK defense specialists. Now, this is a smaller one in electronics. Uh, in terms of electronics, but of course we've seen um, speculation around Ultra in terms of uh, in terms of a bid approach for that. Uh, we've also seen uh, Megit as well bid for that's uh, MGDT mm-hmm. is the ticket for that 5.7 billion market cap. So uh, yeah, and these approaches by uh, by US. Uh, U.S. groups. I mean, Cobham was taken out by U.S. private equity about 18 months ago, and they, you know, they've spun off parts of Cobham since. But I think it's Cobham that's approaching. If I get this right, is approaching Ultra. Uh, we are seeing record numbers of uh, bid approaches at the moment in the U.K. And I see, you know, I think I said this right at the beginning of the year. Um, the second half was going to be all about M&A, and it is. Uh, and it's going to carry on, to be honest with you. I, I see no sign of it stopping. And I think you're right. You know, it starts probably with the big ones and then the smaller ones get gobbled up too. Um, so, yeah, I think we're going to see more takeovers. So if you're in the right stock, happy days. Um, yeah, I, I mean, just a couple of other figures. Uh, I saw today, I don't have a particular view, but TT Electronics had interims and they said they had a record order book. Uh, and very good visibility building up into 2022, which is obviously positive. Uh, and the other one, again, we've talked a lot because it's in what I describe as our picks and shovels category. Um, but this week we had a trading update from Lamprell. Really like Lamprell, what they're doing in wind farms and moving from um, oil rigs to wind farm jackets. 
Um, but they do have this slight issue that they need to get a, some huge chunk of working capital. Now, it, it's almost certainly not going to come from equity shareholders, but from a strategic player, um, which is why the company's pretty relaxed. The banks are playing ball. But they said that that's looking more like now Q4 rather than Q3. And, you know, unfortunately, whilst they're still trying to secure that funding, the stock's not going anywhere, really. Um, but I do like what they're doing. I think it's very, very interesting. Yeah, yeah, they got they've got really good good exposure to the wind, uh, the wind infrastructure market there. Mm. Yeah, unless that's that's a that's a big global market there potentially for them. I but, see also this week that uh, one of my perennial favourites because I own it. God, I wish it would perform. Uh, which is SSE sold off SGN for one point two two five billion pounds. I mean, SSE actually has been pretty active at the moment in selling things and repositioning itself as a classic, you know, FTSE 100 transitional energy stock. I mean, it, it really should be flying in my view, but it just, damn it, it won't. Uh, but I'm hanging on in there. I'm a stale bull, as they say. Look, it takes time for these things to get recognised by the market. And there's a lot going on as well, Andrew, at the moment. And sometimes, you know, sometimes strategic moves get, you know, get missed. But they're, they're clearly, you know, you pointed out they're reshaping that business. That's an interesting one. Yeah, Johnson Matthew as well, which we've been following closely. Yeah, well, I like Johnson Matthew a lot, as you know. And actually, front of the other stock, it's not really um, tech and transitional energy. But I've been talking to clients this week about Centrica, so it's got similarities, should we say, to uh, SSE. And actually, the Centrica, obviously, it's gas. I mean, it is the UK's biggest gas company. I mean, it's a huge company. It's been a disastrous performer. It's only about two and a half billion market cap now. I think it is absurdly cheap and they are transforming it. And of course, gas is probably going to be connecting in, shall we say, with hydrogen. Uh, and so if Centric could, could relabel itself as a hydrogen stock, um, you know, it might be valued the same way as ITM. <laughs> it worth twice as much, <laughs> 10 times as much. Um, but uh, So yeah, look, it's not really tech and transitional energy, but I think there is potentially huge recovery to come out of Centrica and, and certainly at the, the start of this week I was recommending that to my clients um, but so slight red herring on that one maybe. If you have an overlooked on this is where fundamental valuations come into play doesn't it and it's you know being able to to buy in at a real value level before this you know the stories start to really emerge. Well, again, it's, it's a slight red herring, but I've, I've actually been very busy this week talking to clients. It's because I've been away for so long. They're all actually talking to me. It's fantastic. Um, they've forgotten what a pain in the neck I am. <laughs> but I, I, one of the other things I've been talking to them, funny enough, and, and again, tech and transition energy tends to avoid this, but I, I was talking to them actually about travel stocks to a certain extent and how, you know, to what some of the travel stocks are now priced more highly than they were before we went into the pandemic. And yet, some of them have issued so much equity during the period that you know these companies just to, to maintain the value have got to grow their earnings by about 50 percent um let alone actually go up from there and the valuations in my view are complete madness because the market just isn't taking into account that they've issued huge amounts of equity and you, you, you've got to realize that when you do that you, you, you basically have to drive your earnings even harder. And they've got the opposite. Earnings are going down. They're issuing more equity. I mean, they're, they're making a mountain. They would just never be able to climb. And, and investors often forget that. Um, 
Anyway, again, that's another issue. Complete another issue. It's not really tech and transition energy. I'm going to bring it back to tech and transition energy because, 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 because there's actually, I don't know if you've seen, well, you can't help but not see it. It's in a lot of the newspaper, I think. But one of um, the largest Tesla battery installations just sort of blew up. Um, some fantastic pictures of it, of it in flames. Um, and uh, this was just sort of a reminder, I think, to me. Uh, this one, by the way, that blew up was in, in Australia. Uh, it's in a place called, wait for it, Morabuli, I think it is. It's near Geelong. I mean, what sort of names? They're, they're all Aborigine, I guess. Um, but actually, I don't know if you know this, Phil, but that actually is the 38th lithium-ion battery plant to burst into flames since 2018. And it's just a reminder of how dangerous lithium-ion batteries are. You know, these mega mega battery things they keep blowing up and yet what is interesting um the amount of energy storage deployed last year actually rose by 62 percent and according to various surveys that i look at it looks as though by the end of this decade so the next nine years it's going to grow by another 27 fold well you can't grow at that rate therefore using lithium-ion can you not if it's all going to blow up you can see where i'm headed can't you Yes, I, I can indeed. I've, 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 I've it's got, pretty predictable, isn't it? I it, mean, how can we do a second transition energy podcast without mentioning our favourite company, Invinity Energy Systems? Look, Vanadium has got a huge future. I'm, I'm totally convinced of it. I know the share price of Invinity is, is still struggling slightly, but you know, we did have actually again this week Larry Zulch, the CEO, buying stock to show his faith. Um, I think there's going to be some more good news. The good news actually is that, of course, what we also had announced this week is that Americans can come to the UK without having to quarantine. So uh, I am pleased to say I can't give the exact dates yet, but I've been talking to Larry and he has every intention of jumping on a plane and getting over here. It'll probably be the beginning of September because there's not much point coming in August. Um, and what we will then do is get him out and about and make sure that everyone can hear from the horse's mouth, so to speak, why this business actually is is going well despite what the share price is doing so as soon as we know when he's coming over we'll let everybody know and we'll make sure that as many people as possible can can get to meet him because i think it's important yeah yeah good absolutely yeah nice to hear about that uh travel again and yes larry's he's what he's a this is a client of ours but um but certainly vanadium uh flow batteries are seen as you know long duration great long duration solution for storage and indeed um and the oxford energy super hub now they, they'll be working with um alongside lithium batteries on that project that's a major ev charging project but yeah that tesla battery fire apparently kept going for was three it was an ft financial times report on it saying it took three days for the blaze to be extinguished my word yeah that's quite something that I suspect it got pretty hot in there. You can put your marshmallows on and get them toasted in seconds. <laughs> There's better ways of having a barbecue. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, my word. Right. So what else you got, Phil? Right. OK, quickly. Uh, Rolls-Royce, did you see? They, uh, uh, yeah. About the mini nuclear reactors. Warren's doing a good job there. You know, it's a tough gig he took on. And I, I think, you know, the, the results that came out today demonstrated that he's actually really starting to turn it around. But, yeah, talk us about the nu nuclear reactors. Yeah, so this is um, 
Sorry, Rolls Royce tickets are on the market cap's equal eight billion. Anyway, the um, so they secured uh, two hundred and ten million in funding. Uh, this funding was consortium led by by Rolls Royce has secured this funding, um, and they're getting a matching amount of taxpayer uh, of taxpayer funding. But the, the whole point of this is to develop small modular nuclear reactors, and these are called SMRs. Um, and the whole idea of these is that that you know these will be plants of about 40, 450 megawatts in size, and they're about a seventh of the output of conventional nuclear power stations. Um, and they you know the estimated cost of two billion to get to the stage where to start constructing the first ones. But I think what's what's look nuclear energy. I think like it or not is going to be part of the mix going forward because of the stability. That it gives um, to the grid, but the, the the massive challenge always with nuclear energy is number one, planning, uh, getting the right sites, and number two is obviously the complexity of the construction. So I guess you know the approach here is rather than having all your eggs in one great big reactor basket, that by having smaller ones you're able to roll them out um, more flexibly, but. But what a super bit of lateral engineering thinking to be, you know, to be looking to do this. And it's distributed power at the end of the day, Andrew, rather than centralised mm. big pots of power. I don't like the idea of having all my eggs in one big nuclear basket. I think that sounds like a terrible recipe for scrambled egg. <laughs> Indeed. But, as yeah, as you say, well, you know, well done. Well done. Warren's brain is behind behind this he's a good yeah he's a great mind he took on a top yeah tough tough task at rolls royce and as you say getting that turned around that's um yeah we will see he, he's not just good at playing the organ that's the church organ by the way yeah um, anyway uh right anything else paul? phil what's your name phil or paul phil come on well you go for you get for phil if you like uh we're just waiting the bank of england rate decision out very shortly if not out already yeah, so I don't, again, it's funny, I don't, I'm not really too worried about that. Yeah. If you look at um, ten-year government bond yields, we're at, we're only at 0.518 percent. Yeah. Do you know actually, there's now in the world there is now 16 trillion dollars of debt around the world that is at zero or negative rates. Oh God. Jeez. No, but I mean that's the whole point. Is that actually I think you know you hear a lot of economists talk about you know all these issues of too much debt and everything but what they don't quite allow for is the fact that first of all so much of it is at zero interest and so frankly you can just park it over there and ignore it and come back to it 50 years later because it isn't costing you anything you just leave it it just sits there but also because when you look at debt you, you look on you know, and governments I mean, the bank of england and the government are obviously separate people but effectively they work as the same thing but for, for every credit there's a debit so where you have the debt, you sort of had the cash on the other side. So yes, you are creating more more money supply, which theoretically should produce inflation, but it's not. So you know, there's an awful lot of frankly bullshit talking about macroeconomics. I don't think you, people should worry about it. You know, we've worried about Chinese debt, for instance, for years and years and years. Has that stopped China growing? No, not at all. So why don't we learn from that and say, look, don't worry about it. It's all at zero interest, so it's irrelevant. We'll just come back to that in 50 years' time. Just find the right companies. You find a good company with good management in a growth sector, and tech and transitional energy is, you will make money. Well, Apple had their results. And it said in the last eight years, 
they bought back $420 billion worth of shares and a certain $80 billion worth of cash. That surely shows what a good company with, with the financing in can do. My word. There you That's go. A very interesting point on the on the debit and credit point. And um, yeah, the debt versus what there is there out there in assets. And there you are, Apple market cap two trillion dollars. Just yep. in terms of scale and perspective on that, uh, you know, on that debt level that you were talking about. Yeah. Oh well, there we go. Yeah, I'll, I'll miss the I'll miss the I'll miss the Bank of England base rate results there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just ignore them; they're irrelevant. Yeah, um, they really, 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 really are. Really, really, really are. Uh, right now, um, anything else? Where, where should we wrap it up there? I think we are close to wrapping up. I, I think just let, let's be watching out for some of the you know what happens with the uh, the M and A activity in the UK, particularly in the defence sector. Um, and there was just finally to end, there was a report on Bloomberg yesterday, I don't know if you saw that, about the uh, you know, the UK government's deliberations over NVIDIA and ARM. Uh, no, I did see that, actually. Yeah, I mean, they're not, yeah. they're not happy about it, are they? No, no, they don't seem to be. It's uh, still, a, still very much a bubbling issue and the concern over national security issues, and that's why... Filtronic, but it's when you've got advanced electronics that's in right at the heart of defence projects. You know, you can see why these things are being looked at closely by the, you know, by the by the government as yeah, to the ownership. But but quickly, I was just looking at arm though. Is you know, it was an amazing business. But, yeah. you know, since it was taken over, a lot of the the good guys have left. Some of that culture that was being built up outside Cambridge, in particular, has, has dwindled. And we sort of lost what could have been a, an amazing sort of generator of UK tech capabilities and attracting companies in. And, you know, I know, as you know, I, I know the original management mm. very well, and I do speak to them occasionally. It's not for me to say what they think, but I think it'd be fair to say that they have watched with a, you know, a little bit of a tear in their eyes, should we say, as, as some of the sort of adventurous spirit that they had back in the, in the 90s and the the early 2000s has gone out of that business. Um, you know, that's what we need. We need more. But, you know, you know, I hate to say it, the government really doesn't help. It uh, um, doesn't matter which government. I'm being completely apolitical, whether it's a Conservative or Labour, even if it's a Lib Dem or something like that. Governments never seem to help in this country. They're all, you know, and it's a shame because we need to actually build these great businesses and keep them going in the, in the way they do in the US. Um, and there's the lecture. I, I've given a lot of lecturing today, haven't I? So I apologise to any listeners. Yeah, but, Andrew but, is but, right on his, you know. <laughs> but, but I'll have my 10 P's worth in there as well, is that these big corporations train up people who become highly, highly skilled and experts and very often go on to set up their own businesses. You know, it's a success breeds success. And this is why when these things, you know, when they're taken over, and if it says about when it's of the risk of job losses, it's even more than unemployment. It's the fact that you're not creating, you know, all of those skilled people that are going to go out and, 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 and you know, build more businesses. That's fantastic for the economy. Yeah. So, Boris and Carrie, as you listen to this podcast, as I'm sure you do, because everybody does, take note. And on that note, Phil, we've done a good 30 minutes. People are getting bored of us ranting away. Let's call it a day and we'll reconvene next week.
We certainly will.